Hi there, Rachel here. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2024, I have some big news. After selling out during the holiday season, my Flex of Gold journal is available for pre-order right now and will be shipping to your home by the end of June. To celebrate, we're running an amazing pre-order sale for Mother's Day. Purchase the journal before May 13th and you'll get $10 off every journal. This is our best price of the year, even better than Black Friday, so it's the perfect time to stock up for gifts for family and friends. This three-year journal helps mothers to notice, savor, and write down the fleeting golden moments that they experience with their children each day. So go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to reserve your copy, and you'll also see our brand new cover colors, as well as our new cover option, which is a wipeable vegan leather. So again, go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to pre-order your journal, and from now until Mother's Day 2024, they'll be marked down by $10 each. I can't wait for you to experience the magic of this beautiful gratitude journal for mothers. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this podcast is sponsored by Vionic Shoes, the most supportive shoes ever. Are you tired of sacrificing style for comfort when it comes to your footwear? Well, say goodbye to compromise and hello to the perfect blend of fashion and support with Vionic Shoes. Vionic Shoes are designed with your comfort in mind, featuring innovative Viomotion technology that supports your natural alignment providing stability and relief with every step. We are in full-on winter weather where I live in Idaho, so I recently had to put away my slip-on sneakers from Bionic, the Kimmy in tan leather, which I absolutely loved for fall. It will be such a treat to pull them back out in the spring because they go with literally everything, but with snow already on the ground here, slip-on sneakers will no longer do. And now I need a full-coverage boot, and I'm so glad I have the Brighton boots from Bionic because they are adorable and warm and they pair with skirts or pants, the perfect versatile boot. Whatever your weather is like right now, there's a shoe for you at Vionic. From casual sneakers to elegant flats to winter boots to cozy slippers, you'll find the perfect pair for any occasion, and these shoes are comfortable and supportive in addition to being stylish. Order a pair for yourself and try out their 30-day money-back guarantee. Wear them and love them or return them within 30 days for a full refund. This is a company that stands behind their products. So use code 3 in 30 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's code 3 in 30 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com. One-time use only at Vionic Shoes. Wearable well-being for your feet. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast to help you feel more like yourself within your motherhood. Each 30-minute episode features three actionable takeaways to help you become a more self-assured mom, someone who knows yourself, honors your needs, and loves your people. Listen in to feel encouraged as we learn together how to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. I'm so glad you're here. Do you have family traditions around food? Is food something that generally connects your family? Or is it something that causes stress and sometimes even tears for mom and the kids? For most of us, it's probably both. We probably have some wonderful memories around the dinner table, either in our own homes growing up or in our own homes now that we're creating. And we've also probably had some pretty negative experiences around family meals as well. Today's guests are familiar with both extremes, 
and they have some practical ideas for bringing more joy back to family meals and food traditions. Megan Splawn and Stacey Billis are the co-founders of the podcast, Didn't I Just Feed You? It's a podcasting community committed to helping busy home cooks feed their families. Megan is a Tennessee-based recipe developer, culinary producer, mom of two, and baker at heart. She earned her culinary degree in baking and pastry arts from the New England Culinary Institute, and she worked as a media food maven for over a decade as part of Alton Brown's culinary crew. Stacy is a Brooklyn-based cookbook author and food editor and a mom of two teenage boys. Her first cookbook, Make It Easy, 120 Mix-and-Match Recipes to Cook from Scratch with Smart Store-Bought Shortcuts, is a real-life manual of just healthy enough family eating for busy parents and their kids. Her second cookbook, Winner Winner Chicken Dinner, 50 Winning Ways to Cook It Up, is a one-stop shop for mastering everyone's favorite dinner protein. These two rock star cooks and moms are passionate about bringing simplicity and joy to family mealtimes and food traditions, and I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with them, so let's get into it. Stacy and Megan, welcome to 3 and 30. I am so delighted to be talking with you today. We're excited to be here too. Thank you for having us. Well, you both have extensive food knowledge. Between the two of you, you've gone to (laughs) culinary school, you've written cookbooks, and yet you're also so realistic about how challenging this is for moms to just get dinner on the table for their families day after day. And I just so appreciate that about your work, that even though you are experts, you also are just real moms like the rest of us. So I just wanted to start by saying thank you for that aspect of your work. Yeah. I mean, we say it all the time. We're working moms first and foremost. You can know how to make a mole from scratch. (laughs) But when you come home from a long day at work and your kids are clamoring for dinner, that's like not that relevant. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I saw that Megan has her degree in baking and pastry arts, and I'm like, I wonder how often she's able to whip up a fancy pastry for her. Actually, don't don't challenge her. She's good at that. She's good at that. (laughs) But only because it's like my one primary hobby outside of. Yeah, it's what I love. Yeah. But I can do useful to having kids baking as well, like a quick batch of chocolate chip cookies Mm. or something for the bake sale. Yes, yes. And also, I know you fully support, I've heard you talk about on your podcast, a store-bought something for the bake sale. Um, So I just love that realistic attitude that you both bring to feeding our families. I love the title of your show, Didn't I Just Feed You? Because that is exactly what it feels like, just meal after meal after meal after meal, feeding these minions. But our topic for today is going to be more about how to make food fun. There is a lot of drudgery in feeding your family day after day after day, but food can also really bind and connect us. And as we're heading into the holiday season, I invited you to come on to talk to us a little bit about food traditions and how to bring those into our holiday season and also into our life generally. So I'm so excited to hear your takeaways on this. And so let's dive in. Okay, so we're definitely going to get into family traditions, but there's something that's really important to me and Megan, and I'm sure she'll chime in too. But we always talk about our audience being an audience of family cooks, but family just means so many things to so many people. And it is really important to us that we're just acknowledging that we're not always talking about two parents and two kids and a dog. 
family structures are all over the place. And it's really important to us that we include family in a very expansive way. So whatever your family looks like to you, maybe you just have you and your partner and your kids have left for college, traditions are still relevant. Maybe you're a single parent with just one child. Family traditions are still relevant. Mm. I don't know, Megan, you want to add to that? Stacey, I'm glad you mentioned the single parent part of it because in addition to our like culinary backgrounds that are very shared, we both grew up with single moms. Mm. And so the other thing that's really important to note here is that traditions don't have to be big or complicated. I know for me, like my mom made pancakes every Sunday morning. And yes, they were the Krusty's box mix pancakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it probably actually wasn't every Sunday morning, but she did it with enough repetition that it felt like a tradition. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And I recently had the Krusty's mix pancakes and they're really good. When I was eating them, I was like, why are these surprisingly good for a just add water pancake mix? So I think your mom knew what she was doing there with that Sunday morning tradition. I love this expansive definition you have for family that it can also be your community, your friends, your neighborhood, people that you invite into your home for food traditions. That's all part of the definition of family. Yeah. And, you know, I think Megan hit on something really powerful, which is that that combination of some form of repetition plus connection is where the magic happens. Mm. That's where the meaning is. Like, You know, Megan thinks of it as being every weekend. Maybe it was one weekend a month. Those details sort of disappear. But it matters that it just happened with repetition and with meaning. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was even just a couple of months. I sometimes think that I look back and think, my mom always did this for us. And it was maybe only two or three times that she did it. But it was memorable enough to me that it felt like something she always did. So... Traditions don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be complicated. They don't have to be every single day or week or occasion. I love the point, just with enough repetition that they'll be remembered. So I think that's a great segue to start us off. And what's your first takeaway for how we can start to build family food traditions? We would say start by jotting down like what you're already doing, what already connects you to your family, what brings you joy, what brings your family joy. Are there holidays and traditions that you're already doing that bring excitement? Are there regular meals? Like we just were recently talking about comfort food together and do those things bring connection? Like we said, it doesn't have to be big. It can be really small. If everyone loves ice cream, maybe you make ice cream once a month together or do Sundays on Sunday. If your grandparents visiting is important and are a favorite, maybe there's one way that everyone can pitch in and make their favorite cookies. What else would you say along that? So I feel like actually, Megan, there are two real concrete takeaways in what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think the first is just jotting down what brings you family joy. Yes. And that goes to the Sundays and Sundays. Your family loves the ice cream or they're so excited when grandma comes. So just start by jotting down what brings you joy. Because if you're going to create something new, you want it to be joyful. You want it to connect to those good, positive feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then and then second takeaway, which we can talk about in more depth in a second, is what are you already doing and building on that? But getting back to identifying what brings you joy and building on that. I love this idea 
because it could even be things outside of food that brings you joy right now. Like maybe your family really loves sports and that connects you. And so you think, okay, that's a natural place where I could bring in some food traditions, either when we're watching sports together as a family or a good friend of mine who actually introduced me to your podcast originally, Hannah, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. Hi, Um, thanks, Hannah. (laughs) She has sort of a tradition with her kids where they'll like kind of picnic at her kids' team practices. And she found that it was because she was in the car so much, running the kids to different practices, and it was stressful and annoying and hard, and she felt like she was just going through the drive-thru all the time. And so she kind of embraced, instead of thinking of this as a negative, why don't we make it a tradition that on these busy sports days, I'll either pack something or we will go through a drive through but then we'll sit on a blanket after the baseball practice before we run to the next one, and we'll all just have this little tradition of a picnic. It makes it something fun and connective and joyful that's centered around a meal that they already have to eat anyway, but now totally. they can build sort of a tradition around it. Right. It goes back to what we were saying, regularity and emotional resonance and the emotional connection, right? Yes. So in this case, that's why these two takeaways are hard to parse out sometimes because yeah. it takes those two things to make a tradition. But you're talking about, you know, that emotional connection. I love this idea that something that feels like drudgery, turning it into a positive emotional connection. Because mm. if we have to do it anyway, let's make this a positive thing for our family. Because a lot of times the drudgery is connected to the things that we're really doing for our kids. Like it's meaningful. They want to play sports and we want to give that to them. It's just hard to fit it in. Mm dinner time at the end of a long day, you know, all that stuff. But like when we really boil it down, we're doing it because of a positive thing Mm -hmm. because we feel like it's great that our kids want to be outside playing sports and we want to support that. Yeah. So like that's a really beautiful tradition to me because she didn't only create a tradition. She like flipped a switch. She turned something that felt like drudgery into something great. Yeah. And I also think there's an element of her accepting herself Knowing Hannah, I know she doesn't love making the big home-cooked meal, and I think sometimes as moms, we can feel sort of guilty about that, or she may have felt guilty about the fact that they were running through the drive through again, and instead she just said, you know what, it's okay that I don't love that, and I can still create meaningful traditions around food that isn't like your typical home-cooked meal you might think about. I can bring my own good momness to my kids in a way that's unique to us and that works for us. And that really reminds me, leads me to a question that I wanted to ask both of you, because food typically in my house has not been very joyful. Meals have not been very joyful. I, first of all, really struggle with cooking. I don't like any part of the whole process from meal planning, grocery shopping to cooking. And then on top of that, I have a child that is I would say there's like a pathological, there's a severe picky eating level Mm -hmm. there. And we're looking into and getting some professional Mm -hmm. help for that. But it just always feels like mealtime is hard. And I don't feel like we connect a lot of joy to it. And that makes me sad. I feel like I always envisioned that family dinner would be joyful. I envisioned that there would be meals that I made that my kids would be like clamoring and excited to eat. I remember things my mom made that was like, yes, she's making chicken and noodles. And we were all excited. And 
I feel some grief that there's really nothing like that in our family because my child struggles so much with food. So what would you say to a parent that doesn't feel a lot of joy right now around food and how can they still sort of start to build some traditions or connection around it? Yeah. First and foremost is you or that person are not alone. There are literally thousands of people in our Didn't I Just Feed You community who are there because they don't identify as a home cook or a food person Mm. and they find every single part of family mealtime to be just absolute drudgery. I'm sure Stacey's going to have more to add to this, but I think even what Hannah did in turning that sports shuffle into an opportunity is important to finding food joy. It is taking the pressure off family dinner as being this super important thing and the only time that you can connect with your kids over food and making it much more accessible both to you, to your picky eater. Like, hey, we are doing this picnic style. We're outside. It's not this like you must sit in your seat. You must eat these things. You can pick around things in that setting too. So I think just taking the pressure off family dinner as being the only place that you can connect with your kids. Mm -hmm. And the pressure off of it looking a certain way. Yes. I think is important. That is hugely important. So I'm actually reading a fantastic book right now by someone who was a Didn't I Just Feed You guest. We love when they go off and do amazing things. Mm -hmm. This woman, Kim Foster, a food writer, wrote a book called The Meth Lunches, and she's a foster mom and got really deep into the foster system during COVID. And then she moved from New York City to Las Vegas. So there was a lot of just becoming part of a new community where there was a high incidence of hunger and drug addiction and Mm. challenge because so many people were completely out of work because of COVID Mm. in the Las Vegas community, right? So- She makes this really interesting distinction in her book about people going around saying food is love, food is joy. Actually, no, like food can be punitive, food can be scary, food can be scarce. Mm -hmm. Feeding is the joy. Mm -hmm. And so I think just what Megan said, if you can just find a way, especially if you have the privilege of being able to get support, just not worry so much about what your picky eater is getting nutritionally, not to carry that whole burden, but to kind of like make a plan with someone who's professional, someone who can help you through that part. And then everybody needs to eat. If they need to eat McDonald's the way Kim talks about some of her foster children, she's an amazing cook, like making bosom and this and that and crazy things. But her foster children, sometimes they just needed McDonald's Mm. because... It was regular. It was predictable. It was the only food they were used to. And so she started at first, she was like, I'm not going to feed that. Then she started to find the joy in providing that for her foster children. Mm, I love that. I'm paraphrasing. But like, find out what, like, what does your kid like? What is low stakes? Where is there no pressure where your kid is going to get upset? And lean into it. Mm. Don't judge it. Don't attach it to what you had when you were growing up or how you want to eat. Just provide that joy. Yeah. And even as you say that, Stacey, I'm thinking my children do get super excited about the treats I make. Yeah. And I think yeah. in my mind, I'm like, no, I want them to be excited about the meals, the nourishing yeah. part, because they should be. Whereas if I release that and just say, maybe they're never going to be that excited about the meals, but they love the cookies or the whatever. And that's yeah. that's important, too. That can be a food tradition, too, is just around the desserts. 
A hundred percent. And you'll still keep offering healthy foods or whatever you decide is healthy or what you think is important to have on your table and you enjoy it. But just lean into the joy of it. Like you're trying to raise kids who have a healthy relationship with food and fighting about food every night is not the way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're doing great. Before we get back to traditions too, I want to say it is important, especially in the seasons where it's really hard to feed your family, to make sure that you're feeding yourself first in a Mm. joyful way. So maybe it is making chicken and noodles, knowing that no one else at the table is really going to enjoy it and being like, yes, now I have leftovers for lunch for the next three days and I've taken care of my own food joy too. Mm. I love that's so beautiful, especially thinking about like it is something that connects to a joyful memory from my childhood. So there's no reason why I can't make it for myself. And my husband will gladly eat anything. So the two of us can have chicken and noodles and actually one of my children as well. So I think sometimes I can get so focused on the one child that's a hard eater and feel like family dinner is just a wreck because of that without like zooming out a little and saying, actually, there's a lot of people here that appreciate what I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that reminder. I'll eat your chicken and noodles. Oh, thanks. Come over anytime. (laughs) Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Copilot, one-on-one fitness coaching with personalized workouts and accountability. If you've been listening to 3 and 30 for very long, you've possibly heard me talk about my history with eating disorders. And for that reason, I am incredibly careful about the wellness resources that I recommend. After trying out Copilot for the last few months, I feel 100% confident recommending it as a resource if you have fitness goals and want support but you don't want a militant, one-size-fits-all, you-have-to-look-a-certain-way fitness mentor. Copilot is so personalized and offers connection to a real-life trainer who you get to meet with virtually when you get started so you can share your unique history and goals. Then your trainer provides you with a personalized workout plan, regular progress check-ins, support, and guidance, all through a convenient app. Copilot offers accountability, flexibility, and affordability for people who want to take their health seriously but may be intimidated by either the experience or the cost of traditional personal training. I really like how you can work out at the gym or at home, and you can message your trainer anytime if you have questions or run into mindset blocks. So if you've been feeling the desire to set personal health goals but you're a little intimidated, I'd love for you to follow my lead to get fit and feel fabulous. Give Copilot a try to find out why it was listed by Forbes as the top-rated personal trainer app of 2023. Head to go.mycopilot.com/3in30 to get a 14-day free trial and 20% off your first month of personalized fitness with your own personal trainer if you sign up before February 1st, 2024. That's go.mycopilot.com/3in30 to get a free 14 days trial and 20% off your first month. Sign up for the new year and let Copilot help you reach your fitness goals. This podcast is sponsored by Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. In today's episode, we're talking a lot about food, but during this busy time of year, prioritizing family dinner can feel darn near impossible with all of the hustle and bustle of traditions and activities. Don't forget that just slowing down to enjoy a good meal as a family can feel magical. And Green Chef is helping me feel my best this December with fresh, seasonal recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables, organic cage-free eggs, and sustainably sourced seafood. Some of my favorite recipes lately have been the harissa apricot chicken and the sriracha tamari beef bowls. So tasty! 
And the best part, these meal kits come with pre-portioned, already prepped ingredients. So you just grab a bag from the fridge, follow the step-by-step recipe card, and you can have a wholesome dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. That kind of convenience is priceless during the busy holiday season. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or you're just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. Go to greenchef.com slash 63in30 and use code 63in30 to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash 63in30 and use code 63in30 to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Okay, what's your second takeaway? Starting with what you're already doing. So not being like laser focused on, oh, I have to make new traditions or even we feel this, the weird like social media pressure of like we think everyone is making cookies with their kids around the holidays or we think that everyone is doing like Friday pizza night and making pizza from scratch. But what's already happening in your world is as important as the like bigger holiday traditions too. Mm, Yeah. And I think that this actually leads to our third takeaway as well. Okay. Which is to keep it manageable. That's why we want you to start with what you're already doing. Because you guys are already doing so much and you're working so hard. Mm. So one way to keep it manageable is to start with what you're already doing. Mm. And that may mean taking something that you're already doing every once in a while and kind of like increasing it or boosting it or formalizing it in some way that feels manageable. Another way to keep it manageable would be like relying on store-bought shortcuts or Pizza Fridays is really popular, right? Mm -hmm. I remember (laughs) a couple of weeks when my kids were little where I was like, make your own pizza every Friday, like homemade dough, make it yourself. And then like slowly it was like, okay, make your own pizza. I bought the dough from the pizzeria. (laughs) And then it like, you know. It was like takeout pizza. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like I at least baked it at home. Yes. And then finally you're like, let's just get delivery. A hundred percent. And my kids still, Pizza Fridays, that's something that anchors them. Mm. It doesn't really matter. They don't think less of the tradition because I didn't make the pizza dough homemade. So like I was able to maintain the tradition while just thinking about ways to make it manageable. Because if you don't make it manageable, it will not sustain And then it's not a tradition. Like we go back to regularity and emotional connection. So how can you really commit to making it regular, make it as manageable as possible? And I love, Megan, what you mentioned about starting with what you're already doing, because something becomes a tradition when you name it as a tradition. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you may already be doing things that could be considered traditions because you do them so often. But because you haven't named it or said to your kids, isn't it so great we have this tradition of Pizza Friday? Now all of a sudden they have a term for it, even though it's already been happening. And they can start to see like, oh, this is an exciting thing to look forward to. Or this is part of our family culture. Or like you mentioned, elevating it a little bit. Maybe once in a while you add sprinkles to the thing or whatever to just make it. You're doing what you're already doing, but you're elevating it a little bit and naming it as an important tradition while at the same time keeping it manageable. One that I think of is we generally don't have a lot of like sugar cereals. And so... On St. Patrick's Day, I always buy (laughs) Lucky Charms for the kids. 
and have it out on the table. Like that is so easy, so manageable, but it is special for them because that's not something that we generally have. And it's just become a little easy tradition to have Lucky Charms on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. You and Cece both hit on something which we haven't said explicitly, that like a food tradition does not mean that you have to make anything. Yes. It can be store-bought. It can be the bakery that you visit once a year when you're on vacation and it's really special to everyone. Or maybe it's not really special. Maybe it's mediocre donuts, but you're on vacation. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And like to bring it back to the naming thing, we were running into this issue, like this tension with my almost 12-year-old daughter where she was constantly asking about fast food. And then like by default, on Wednesdays, we were choosing to do drive through more often because we had two soccer practices and it was just becoming hectic. And so we just started naming it. It's now Fast Food Wednesdays. And she'll ask on Wednesday morning, she's like, oh, it's Fast Food Wednesday. What are we going to get tonight? And it becomes this exciting thing only because we named it. And it takes away the pressure of the other days of the week to have fast food. She quit asking like every night, oh, can we have that instead of Mm. the homemade meatballs that you're making? And it doesn't involve me doing any extra cooking. It is like actually just making my life easier. It's less cooking. Yes. Oh, I love that example. One thing that I did want to ask the two of you about is family traditions, how to honor what your mother or grandmother or grandfather or father made or did around holidays or other times, if you want to bring that into your current life to sort of connect generations. I think that's a really special, cool idea. Do you have any thoughts on that or any examples of ways that you've done that or people in your community have done that? Well, I'll jump in with something. Kind of like what we were saying in the beginning about an expansive definition of family I know that a lot of people have a hard relationship with their families. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes carrying those traditions through doesn't always feel great. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like, I have a couple that feel really good to me. But maybe thinking about what did feel good or how you can, like, flip the script for yourself and maybe start something new Mm. in a place where maybe family traditions didn't feel so great for you. Mm -hmm. For me... My grandmother was a really wonderful cook, a difficult woman, but a wonderful cook. And after she passed away, my mother and I kept her little notebook where she jotted down her recipes. And it's very difficult to understand because it's in Greek and she measures in like her own teaspoons. She's like a a mm. spoonful of that, like a <laughs> the Greek word for cup, but she means like literally her teacup. <laughs> No, like the measurements are not standardized at all, which drives me crazy as a recipe developer. (laughs) But my mom and I just picked one cookie that we both like. Mm. And every year for the last few years, we have been working on trying to recreate it to taste like hers. And we have not succeeded, but it's just become such a fun thing that we do. Mm. And my mom and I don't think alike and don't always get along so great. But like this has been a fun thing where like, we're problem solving and we're coming at it from like two totally different angles, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and it's become a really nice family routine for us. And they're Greek cookies. I should say that they're Greek cookies. So mm-hmm. that's the part of yeah. bringing our culture in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really love that. And, you know, Stacy's talking about her grandmother who's no longer alive. But I would also say 
we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as moms to like be the person who carries on the tradition. But if that grandparent or family member is still alive, Mm. can you connect them with one of your children to be the baton passer instead? Mm. I love my mother-in-law dearly. And the last two Christmases, I've sent my kids to make her big batch of a treat that she calls trash because it's like literally mixed in trash bags and everyone (laughs) loves to get it. I have the recipe written down and I know that it would be so easy for me to just like incorporate that into our cookie baking days. But I think that would take some of the connection out of it. So instead, like sending my son and daughter to Nana's house to make Nana's trash with her and learn the recipe so that when Nana's no longer with us, they have those memories, they know the recipe and they can make it and share it with the rest of our family feels like the best thing I can do without putting more labor on myself. No, and I, that's beautiful. And also, Nana probably loves that time. Oh, I feel like she my mother-in-law is an incredible <laughs> yes. cook. And she would be thrilled if my kids were like, Grandma, can you teach us how to make your cinnamon roll? But I do think that a, there's a thread here. I think it's a beautiful thing to write down recipes. Even passing that down without the tradition of making it tells a story. And I do think that everybody loves feeling connected to the generations before them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I encourage people to write down the recipes, write down the family recipes, even if you don't cook them. Yeah, that's beautiful. This has just been a really enlightening, fun conversation, very realistic and manageable, I think, for moms <laughs> listening. Just to start thinking about what brings you joy, what you're already doing, and how you can make these traditions more manageable. If listeners want to learn more from the two of you, where's the best place for them to start? Didn'tIJustFeedYou.com is the hub for everything. You can find the podcast and all the platforms that we're on to listen to us there. And you can also join our community for free there as well. All right, great. And the podcast by the same name is fabulous. We'll link that in the show notes. And thank you both so much for your time and for coming on 3 and 30. Thanks thank for you having for having us. us. Well, that was fun. I really enjoyed talking with those wonderful and relatable moms and I just wish I could taste some of Megan's pastries and Stacy's Greek cookies. As you consider some food traditions you could start to bring into your family, no matter what your family looks like, remember these three takeaways. First, jot down what connects you and your family to joy. Are there holidays that you and your family love, relatives whose visits whip up excitement, hobbies that bring everyone together, or meals that actually make everyone happy? It can be big or small, but identifying where the emotional resonance is can help you figure out where a tradition will successfully take root. If everyone loves ice cream, maybe you have a once a month ice cream sundae for dinner night. If grandma's visits are a favorite, maybe there's a way that everyone in the family can pitch in to bake her favorite cookies for her arrival. Start with where joy already exists for your family and then build traditions from there. Second, start with what you're already doing. You may already have traditions that you haven't named. It's okay if you haven't done them on a predictable schedule, but if there's a kitchen activity you've repeated or a meal that you tend to make every so often that's always a hit, consider formalizing it into a tradition. What you do around holidays is an obvious place to start, but also consider the everyday cooking and eating that you do. And third and finally, keep it manageable. Food traditions don't have to be work-intensive. Stacy and Megan say that they understand deeply the appeal of baking elaborate cakes or pulling kids into the kitchen for make-your-own pizza Fridays, but the more work-intensive the tradition, the harder it will be to maintain. 
The point is to look forward to a reliable opportunity to spend time and fill your bellies together. That can mean cooking together, but only if that works for you. Traditions that are manageable, don't cause stress, and fit your strengths as a mom and a family are more likely to be repeated. My friends, I'm feeling inspired to choose some food traditions that really fit me and our family this holiday season. I hope you're feeling similarly. And as always, I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.